0: To Sacred Intersections podcast, where we navigate the twisty roads of harmful theology, mental health, and religious abuse. I'm Jill. I'm an ordained pastor in the Presbyterian Church USA.
1: And I'm Paula, and I'm a licensed counselor and a counseling professor. So, Jill, this is our third episode.
0: It is the third episode.
1: This is our first episode we are recording after there have been other episodes out in the world.
0: We have listeners. It's may, very it exciting. seems like
1: maybe, maybe we do. Maybe even people who are not our husbands. It's
0: also very exciting. Like, who are not contractually obligated <laughs> to listen to what we say.
1: <laughs> exactly. So if you are listening, duh, of course you're listening if you're listening, but we're really glad you're here and...
0: We are. We're really excited to interact with you. We're excited to hear your feedback. We'd love to hear... Uh, about your own experiences and your thoughts. Um, We'd love to hear your suggestions. If you'd like to hear us talk about something specific, uh, we'd love to hear about it. And we'd love to put it in an upcoming episode. So we look forward to interacting with you wherever you may be. Our... Data specialists told us that one of our listeners is from Canada, which is super exciting to me. We
1: are international.
0: Yes. Canada, we love you. We're very excited that you're here wherever in Canada you're It's a big
1: country, so we're not sure (laughs) where in Canada, but please keep listening so your flag will keep showing up on our dashboard of information. (laughs) We love it. Because that was really fun. Um, But it has been fun to get some feedback and to hear that hopefully... Some of this is generating some other discussions, and yeah. we would love to hear some of your discussions. Leave some reviews, message us, leave us comments on our social media so that we know what you want and how to make this more helpful for what you're looking for when yeah. you tune in.
0: Do we get to this is the part where we say, Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> I think
1: we have officially become that podcast.
0: <laughs> yes, we would, I mean, we would really love that if you have the time to do it. That'd be kind of magical. Mm-hmm.
1: So what are we talking about today, Jill?
0: Yeah, I'm excited about today. I think this is really helpful. I was uh trying to come up with a good metaphor around mm. sacred intersections, and I was thinking a little bit about, like, the 15-point checklist, you know, like... um. Mm. Uh, Little rabbit hole I'm about to go down. One of the many things that I had to do as a youth pastor was get my commercial driver's license. <laughs> so that I could drive teenagers so all over the place. You could drive
1: big vehicles down the road yeah, with so, screaming teenagers. So
0: I went to I went to truck driver's school.
1: That is amazing. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> I really wish I could have seen that.
0: Yeah, I at, I was at one point in time licensed to drive either a 25 passenger vehicle or a garbage truck. So like... That is a skill. If being a theologian in residence didn't work out, I could. I really hope that's on your resume. Um, But you have to go through these 15 point inspections where you make sure that you have all of the things and they're in their proper working order and everything like that. And so I was thinking about how we're starting on this journey and we're talking about these sacred intersections, and there's these terms that we use where we talk about things like religious harm and religious abuse. And you, my very brilliant friend, know a whole lot about religious abuse and suggested that it might be really helpful for us to sort of define that for folks. So that's what we're going to
1: do. Yeah, we're seeing this as kind of a grounding episode for What will come up time and time again as we get more topical because that is starting next week when we start really applying some of these concepts to specific instances of religious harm or religious abuse. But we thought we would take one more week similar to what we did last week with the mental health in the church and just ground some of these concepts a little bit so that when we refer back to typical experiences of religious abuse, y'all will know what we're talking about a little bit. So I do have quite a bit of interest in the topic. I think we've mentioned in other episodes that I did my doctoral dissertation on the topic, just figuring out what it is. So I promise not to sit here and read you my dissertation, exciting as that would be for me. (laughs) It is a very
0: brilliant piece of work.
1: I will preface this by saying if you want to take a really deep, deep, deep dive into that study that I did for my dissertation and all the different themes that came out of the interviews that I did for that dissertation. I was a guest on another podcast that you can listen to. Some of you may have found our podcast by listening to this podcast. So um, there's a wonderful podcast called You Have Permission and the host is a guy named Dan Koch, who found my dissertation. He's a psychology student working on his doctorate, and he's also interested in the concept of religious abuse. And so we spent a long time talking, really breaking down my dissertation, longer talking to him than I did defending my actual dissertation.
0: Oh, wow, but that's so cool that it's out there and it's helping people. Like, that's so cool. That's,
1: that's the hope. That's, you know, any research I do, I People do research for lots of reasons, but for me, I'm very passionate about it being applied and being research that can can kind of get out in the world and make a difference immediately. So yeah. that if you do have an interest in that deep dive, we'll put we'll put a link to that episode and Dan's podcast in the show notes. And thanks, if you Dan. thanks Dan. And if you like the stuff we're talking about, I think you'll really love all the stuff he's talking about cuz he talks about many of the same intersections that we're talking about so we're not I'm not we're not gonna do that deep dive here <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> there right. may be a little bit of repetitive stuff for those who may have heard that episode but but we just thought we would hit the highlights and talk a little bit about when we use that term as you've heard us talk about it before what we mean so Jill one of the things I've found when I would share with people, the topic my dissertation, and that this is my research agenda as an academic, when I use the term religious abuse, there's always this knowing look. There's often a little bit of a spark of interest from people. People hear that, and they automatically have some kind of connection. They know what I mean. It, they may have different ideas about what I mean, but, but there's always some kind of like, oh, I might not have heard that term, but I know what you mean. So for you, when you hear that term as a pastor as a christian sure. what comes up for you
0: as you were saying that the first thing i thought was that makes me really sad mm. that it's such a generic mm. there's such a knowing that right away knows. that everybody everybody knows and i'm also immediately fascinated of wanting to know if there's a common thread into what people jump to what you know is is everyone convinced that religious abuse is you know the the sexual abuse in the Catholic Church, or is there a more varied approach? That's, but I think for me when I think about religious abuse or um or religious harm, I think a lot about the people who suffer from that. I want to say victim, but I want to use that word very carefully. Mm-hmm. Um, people who have. Who have experienced it, who have experienced religious abuse, who have experienced religious harm. And my desperate desire, uh, my call, if you will, to want to welcome them into a safe community of faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I feel a very personal call to people who have been rejected by the church, to people who have had harmful experiences from the church. And it, it saddens me that there have been so many harmful experiences by the church. Um, but I think about different ways that the church, big C church, the church as an institution, not First Baptist Church of Halla Walla 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 or wherever.
1: Um, I want to go there. Right?
0: <laughs> but the church as a big C, you've got your religious leaders, your pastors and your priests and um, the ways in which they promote harm. Mm -hmm. from the pulpit or from as the wedding officiant or as the eulogy giver or the you know the the funeral officiant or or in in other relationships that a pastor or priest or someone in power might have that power dynamic I think about the congregation as a whole the ways in which people within the congregation might together be promoting some kind of harm or abuse I think about the ways in which Theology or scripture, the ways in which people twist scripture to say what they want it to say and take it out of context, which I would call proof texting. So I, I think about that. I do think about it in ways of, I wonder how much of that is done knowingly or unknowingly. Hmm. And I think a lot, you know, we're, we're in this culture where we learn a lot about unconscious bias. It's twenty twenty. We're in the process of going through yet another era of dealing with civil rights and talking about unconscious bias, and I think there is a lot of unconscious religious harm being done. Which maybe one of the benefits to come from us having these conversations in this arena is that somebody thinks, "Oh my gosh, I have d- I have done this, or I have been a- I have I perpetuated unknowingly this. perpetuated this, and I'm gonna." Yeah change and bring about a a self-awareness. Yeah.
1: Um, I'm not sure if you've just spent too much time with me or if I've gotten in your head, (laughs) but you just broke down kind of the three really broad categories (laughs) that I found in my research. It's because you taught me very, very well. But before we get into those, you mentioned what comes up for people and do people just think of the most public I think example of religious abuse has been the scandals in the Catholic church around sexual abuse. And sometimes when I, when I talk about what I'm researching, people either think I'm talking about cults or they think I'm, which is kind of a most extreme. And that's not what I'm typically talking about. I'm looking at much more mainstream religion or they go, Oh, like you mean that the sex abuse scandals in the Catholic church. So that is certainly an example of religious abuse. And, Yes. When we are using this term, we're using it much more broadly. Sure. We are using it to capture a really wide range of the ways that religion has been used to harm. Yeah. And there's there's a little, a little bit of question about the term spiritual abuse versus religious abuse. And I tend to use religious abuse because I look at organizations and institutional kinds of things. Got it. That's and I, helpful. If you If you're a religious organization there's automatically a spiritual element attached, at least a perception of that, whether that may actually be playing out within or not. Got but it. but so just know that that's something, that that's the distinction I make, but I think that those are interchangeable terms in a way.
0: Sure. Say a little bit about your feelings about the differences between the terms religious abuse and religious harm.
1: Yeah, so I've presented on this topic quite a bit. I've published on this topic and so, you know, academics love to argue over a lot of things. Plus <laughs> a, a lot of semantic arguments. But I've appreciated the wide variety of feedback I've received. And and some of the feedback that I definitely want to listen to is this idea that words have meaning and when we say abuse, does that capture the full range of experience? You know, coming from a counselor perspective, I tend to To fall on the side of, I let my client define their experience for themselves. If they tell me they've experienced abuse and that doesn't fit into a textbook definition, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, no, you didn't. That's up to them to name and label.
0: beautiful.
1: Yeah. And when we speak academically, that can get a little trickier about what experiences of abuse are. So harm seems to just be a little more general and capture. It's a continuum no matter what. One of my one of my exercises in my doctoral program was creating this beautiful it looked kind of like a timeline but more like a chart it was one of the prettiest things i've ever done that's awesome <laughs> because one of my cohort members who is an art therapist helped me with it mostly hi kelly if you're listening <laughs> but that so so this is all on a continuum anyway but i think harm really captures without having to have that semantic argument about what we're talking about so anyone who've experienced who's had negative experiences or feel like they've been hurt or harmed by a religious institution or an organization or someone connected with a religious organization or institution
0: harm feels a little more of an umbrella term abuses a little bit more pointed
1: yeah and I don't want to discount experiences of someone who go who goes oh you know it wasn't trauma it wasn't abuse it just wasn't fun I I don't want to discount or dismiss those experiences because those are still really vital experiences that we want to be able to talk about and then I think a lot of the themes that came out of my dissertation still apply under that umbrella and on kind of a Different end of the continuum sure. than the word abuse. Yeah. So, so I'm still really used to using the term abuse, so I may go back and forth during our discussion, but I think that captures it. So, the three categories that you apparently I have <laughs> osmosed, is that a, can we use that as a verb? I sure. osmosed into your brain. So, this idea of I, I looked at the different, all the different experiences, this really broad ranged and what kinds of experiences were we hearing so not to get into specific we are going to get into some specific examples but just really broadly speaking you touched on them so abuse that's perpetrated by a religious leader someone in an official place abuse or harm that's perpetrated by the group or someone representing the group and then abuse that really has a very overt spiritual element. And those are overlapping. Someone's experience may fall into all three of those categories. But just to break those down and to get your opinion or your thoughts on this as a pastor. So that first category where the abuser or the person doing the harm is a more official leader. So a priest, a pastor, a deacon, elder, someone in a very overt position of authority perpetrating harm yeah what so, comes up for you when you hear that
0: well though so there's a power dynamic there that's mm-hmm. the first thing that I think about and I think about stories that I have experienced myself I think of uh was worshiping as uh in I think this was even before I went to graduate school um was worshiping in a congregation I think I was visiting family and uh we were getting ready to take communion hmm. and the pastor said from the communion table, um, gave this big long speech about how if you were not 100% right with God, that if you chose to take communion, knowing that you weren't right with God, that you were going to burn in hell.
1: Wow. That escalated quickly.
0: It did. And I remember turning to my partner and being like, what? <laughs> I don't, it was, it was. I felt very ostracized. I felt very unwelcome. I felt very anxious, and I felt very clearly that this person in a position of power was like threatening hmm. to was was making sort of a veiled threat,
1: or it sounds like a pretty direct threat not not right? not not just veiled, but pretty much like this will happen,
0: yeah, and throughout my ministry when when I have encountered folks who feel like... Yeah, I don't know about the church. I'm not I'm not going back there. I could see a world in which someone walked in off the street to have a nice Sunday morning church service, heard the pastor say, "You're not right with God. You're going to hell."
1: Yeah. And what does that mean to be right with God? So right. so I imagine there was a very narrow definition that was either going to be right or wrong. So you either get up and say you're right with God or you sit in the pew and everyone wonders, why are you right with God? And so there's a stigma. Either way, you've kind of got this.
0: Yes. So there's a stigma. There's a power dynamic about, I think about stories from grad school, about the ways in which we were cautioned as leaders in training about about the power of the pulpit. You know, we're in 2020. We're in an election year. Uh, One of the things that was, was very real when I was going through grad school, not in this decade, uh, was how it was really not okay to talk about partisan politics from the pulpit, not to endorse a particular candidate. Because regardless of whether someone is Catholic or Roman Catholic, there seems to be this generic belief that someone who stands in that power role that that authority of being a priest or a pastor is closer to god or speaks for god or has that authority and so endorsing a candidate is really manipulative and that's a misuse of the power of the pulpit mm-hmm. so that's when you talk about sort of that religious leader those are some of the things that i think about theologically of just the ways in which like yeah it's not okay to do those things.
1: And one of the things that came up for me as you were talking, and this maybe is a little bit of a side side street that we're gonna go down, but just that you can't take communion until you're quote, right with God. And this idea that you have to clean up and be shiny to come to church, as opposed to church is the place that you can come in and be your authentic self. Yeah. And that you I don't mean this the way it's gonna sound, but the place you come to clean up, you know, this is where you come to to know God and but that you don't have to come in that way but this idea that no you're you may not be good enough to be here you may not be good enough to have the Lord's Supper
0: right right so I might be jumping the gun here but I think about the ways in which the the culture the congregation sort of that second category that you were talking about that seems to be an example of maybe we wouldn't jump so far as to call it harm or abuse but the uncomfortableness of being somebody who likes to worship in jeans and mm. a fleece showing up to a church where I'm everyone's looking at wearing my fleece when you're so <laughs> 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 I I'm wearing a vest and toms right now um it, you know the the thought that you have to have a bow tie on we're we're here in North Carolina as we said before so There are churches where you're expected to wear a bow tie or have your Sunday dress on and the ways in which that sort of rule is more important than welcoming the homeless man that's been sleeping on our campus into our worship service or, um, you know, the people who can't afford the Sunday best.
1: Yeah, I think that is a good preview into one of the themes that came out of my research is this idea their rules are more important than people.
0: Oh, my goodness. And
1: that's so opposite of how I experienced Jesus and yes. what Jesus was doing. So we'll we'll yeah. definitely talk more about that. We might need um, to have,
0: like, a whole episode just on that concept.
1: I think we could. We could easily fill one.
0: Yeah. In the Presbyterian Church USA, in particular, uh, the words decent and in order are on, like, every other page of our <laughs> – I think that exact phrase is actually in one of our other episodes. But <laughs> – There's a lot of rules, and that yeah, and structure,
1: and 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 there's often good reasons for rules and structure. Sure, but the rules and structure were created to make life easier for people, right? And for us to have community with people in a way that's healthy, as opposed to use the rules to create discord and othering within the community.
0: So supposed to help open up the doors, not to shut them.
1: Yeah, and that's that's that twisting again. I think I said in one of the other episodes, my. The subtitle of my dissertation was A Twisting of the Sacred. And that's what we're seeing here. And yep. so so as another thing that's coming up for me is I hear you talk about the leadership piece. I, you know, we don't know who all, who all is listening to this right now. I hope we have people coming from a lot of different theological perspectives or people who don't have a theological perspective. Sure. So I hope that we have, I hope there are some people here listening to us and going, mm, that's not exactly right, and that we hear from you and that you feel comfortable saying that. But I think back to... The process of interviewing my the participants of my study and when my the chair of my dissertation, um, Dr. Craig Cashwell, who's fabulous and does does so much research on counseling and spirituality as well, was he was my auditor, meaning that he looked at the process of of the interviews and so he was reading the transcripts from this and he was weeping reading. He he described himself as weeping reading some of the interviews and. Then he realized, he had this realization that what some of these participants said they experienced as harm or abuse, he knew that there may be some religious leaders sitting there thinking, that's not harm, that's just good theology. Oh, that's, yeah.
0: Ooh, that's a gut punch.
1: Yeah. And there are many reasons why they might think that's good theology. Right. They may have been taught that and just never questioned yeah. it, never really sat down and struggled with it themselves or they may really believe you know that it's okay for for a man to beat his wife if she's getting quote out of line things like that Uh um or that it's okay that's not
0: okay by the way just in case anybody was wondering
1: and that's probably not a great example but an example of that it's okay for a church to kick someone out because They got divorced. Like that may be someone who says that's good theology. And that's not what we believe, (laughs) I think. Um, But it is interesting to think about just how people can be so confident in their rightness of their interpretation. Yeah, And so we've said before we're coming from one perspective, one interpretation. But we also feel pretty passionately about
0: about the things
1: that are harmful. Right, Um,
0: And part of what we hope to do is – just offer another perspective and yeah. say that this is one perspective and we would like to offer you the chance to reframe that perspective yeah. into something.
1: I just I just tried to put my head in the head of your of the, the pastor you heard that said you have to be right with God to come take communion and just how he really thought that he was being helpful sure. with that, that that it was probably Coming from a place of, I'm going to help people. This is going to bring people closer to God. Yeah. And how many people ex- didn't experience it that way.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. I, I imagine that this will come up in another episode too, but I think about the ways in which we are invited to share God's abundant love. And so uh, Augustine, who's one of my favorite theologians, talks about the interpretation of scripture and Augustine says, if at any point in time you are interpreting the scriptures to communicate something other than God's love, you are wrong. Hmm. And so God's love can be a correcting love. God's love can be a challenging love. God's love can be a love that is hard to hear.
1: Love is not always butterflies and, and Peaches. kisses.
0: Yes, preach <laughs> it. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. But that's been helpful for me to hear, how, how am I supposed to hear love in this? Mm-hmm. And it's been helpful for me when I hear theology that troubles me. I think, where is love being communicated in this? Mm-hmm. And if I don't hear love, that's when I want to say, I'm not sure that this mm. is not harmful theology. Yeah, Let's reframe this into a way that does... Yeah, I think that's a
1: great lens. That's just a great lens to overlay all of those questions of, you know, we we talked in our last episode about U-turns and what we don't want the church to be. And if it's not going to be these things, what we do want it to be. And so I think that's a great what we do want it to be, to always looking through the lens of love. And if what we don't want it to be... I've, I've kind, I didn't come up with this phrase in my dissertation study, which was like three years ago. The real simple, what we don't want it to be, is using Jesus as a weapon. So when yes. we use Jesus or religion or church or theology as a weapon, that is what we mean when we say religious harm. Right. And when we look through the lens of love, even if it might be similar kinds of things we're saying... One can be presented as a weapon, and one can be presented as love. And those are really different experiences yes. for someone. Yes, that's, yeah. I think that's a really helpful way to yeah. conceptualize that. Yeah.
0: I also think a lot about exclusion. The concept of exclusion versus the concept of inclusion. Mm-hmm. And my personal theology, which is not everyone's theology, but my personal theology worships a God that is an inclusive God. A God that is inclusive and wants people to come in and wants people to be welcomed, wants to well, invite people. Well, it's for people. God so
1: loved the world, right? right. It's not right. so God so loved the USA or God so loved this man over here, this one person. Right. It's the world. Yes. The whole big one. Yes. So I'm picturing a spinning globe.
0: Right, right. And we and we talk about community and the beloved community and God's kingdom or kingdom and that concept of inclusion. And so I think, sort of, we have our two hands here of the lens of love is our preference and Jesus as a weapon as not. I think of the same Jesus as includer versus Jesus as excluder. And I never hmm. saw Jesus as an excluder. Yeah.
1: And I keep coming, I know I think I've said this before and I'll probably keep saying it throughout, but just Jesus didn't work in churches. Preach. You it, know? I mean, sister. when he preached in a church, his home church, he was kicked out (laughs) so and and his biggest criticism was for the religious leaders and so so we have to be really careful when we equate churches to Jesus that's taking on something there's not a great model for I think scripturally at least from in the gospels later on the building of the church I don't want to make anybody mad with that but okay so So that being the first kind of really broad category, when the person doing the harm is in a more overt, specific leadership role. So the next kind of broad category, and this certainly can overlap with people's experiences, but when the person or groups or when the harm is coming from a group of people, like the organization or the congregation or someone who says they're speaking for the group. Sure. So do you have any thoughts about that where you may have seen that from a pastor perspective or...
0: (laughs) So I have these two stories, and they are vastly different. Mm-hmm. So the all, the 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 lighter one that I will start with is sort of going on that concept you were talking about earlier of prioritizing rules over people. I think about the ways in which the church ladies air quotes um, the the church ladies who are are responsible for taking care of the kitchen and the Pyramids. Which is so
1: funny since both of our husbands are the cooks in, right? Our, in our Right? Our husbands
0: are the church ladies. <laughs> um, but the uh, the paraments, which is a nerd alert theological term for like the fabric that hangs on the pulpit or the yeah. things that are set on the communion table. That's my new
1: knowledge for the day.
0: Someday Didn't we'll talk that. about another nerd alert theological furniture. <laughs> that's bat- a thing? It is a thing. So there are things that should be part of your worship service. So the baptismal font is a piece of theological furniture or liturgical furniture, the communion table. Um, there are other faiths that call that call it an altar. The pulpit, those are pieces of uh, liturgical furniture and things like that. And sometimes those are prioritized over people. Also, the other story that I think about is a story where a young woman who is gay moved back in to take care of her aging parents with her partner and felt like it was the right thing to do. Her parents were aging. Their health was declining. They felt like they wanted to care for their parents. Faith was a really important part of their life, and they wanted to be a part of a faith community, and so they returned to the church in which... She grew up, and when they came, not only were she and her partner ostracized and marginalized, but her parents were ostracized and marginalized because Mm. it was not okay to be gay. Mm. And they received, I would say, pointed religious abuse from a power dynamic from the pulpit when they were called out and told that they were not welcome. In the middle
1: of church? In the middle of
0: church. And... The ways in which members of the church family, people who had taken baptismal vows when she had been baptized as an infant in that congregation, then ostracized the family and defriended mm. them on Facebook and 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 stopped being a part of their lives and wouldn't let her mom serve on the church lady committee and mm. things like that. and the ways in which it wasn't it wasn't just, the power of the religious leader from the pulpit, but the way that the whole entire membership of the church said, "You're doing, you are sinning," and in our minds, we are casting you out. Yeah. And when this young woman shared this story with me, it it broke my heart because that is Oops. not what the church is. The church is that that it goes back to that inclusion, inclusion, exclusion. Why? Why on earth would we ever turn someone away from the church? Why? Yeah, and that's
1: that type of story is what you see in this category of harm quite a bit. Is the marginalization of a group or a member of a group by a group or a member of a group? So, so things like the theological bullying or exclusion of the LGBTQ plus community or systemic racism that is really endorsed by the group, and perhaps by the religious leader. There's a great term that um, a researcher named Beverly Green that I found in my research, she used the term legitimized inequality. Oh. That, like, And that, I, I may have already said, have I said that? I don't know. No. But I'm, it will be coming up quite a bit because that resonated with me of that's what is happening in this category of harm is yeah. that because you're legitimizing it when you say that God says this or that this is theologically correct or this is the way the church believes. You're legitimizing that this group is better than this group or that you are not as good as we are. So you're legitimizing this inequality. You're giving credence to it. And that's really dangerous and that's a really strong abuse of power. And that's, again, not... So for God so loved the world, right, you know that's right. not what it's Jesus. Not communicating
0: love, it's not communicating inclusion. And
1: Jesus spent so much time with the marginalized, with the people right. on the on the edges, yes. and yes. welcoming them and proving you know that I'm going to spend time with these people, and yet the churches seem to just pull. Often it's so easy for churches, it for any group, but when you have the power of scripture behind you when you have the power of God's on my side behind you to let you pull just to pull into yourself that's what seems to happen so much sure and and all the harm that can be done to those outside of that pulling in process that you've done
0: yeah
1: yeah you know I often use the term other as a verb when we other someone um so that pushing out and that's what this category is Uh, and By that I mean making someone the other, meaning that you dehumanize them in a way, you make them less than you, it becomes they're them and I'm us and we're different, and that's what that legitimized inequality does. And so that's, and I'm even thinking, I mean, I'm just, that's bringing up a lot of, you mentioned a lot of feelings for you, a lot of feelings for me, and the ways that I have made similar choices in my own life to, to rather than look at the need around me to beautify myself or beautify my own space.
0: There's, there's some metaphor out there about self-awareness that I'm sure we can tie into our traveling, journeying, intersectional metaphor about the ways in which you know, the car that you're driving, you know, the route that you're taking, you know, where the gas station is, where you need to fuel up. Like there's a, there's a self-awareness gift that I think maybe in my heart of hearts I hope maybe we're contributing to that to provoke the conversation to have the discussion and think about
1: yeah because there's no easy answers to any yeah. of that. All right, so let's continue to ponder that yeah um, and think of so the third broad category being one, I think we've already touched on it, but where the spiritual is really overtly used to do the harm like the spiritual is used to justify what's happening or theology. So the first one where the leaders are the ones doing the harm, the second one where the group is the one doing the harm, and the third one where the theology is the one doing the harm. Yeah. So I think of, I obviously have lots of examples for my research, (laughs) but what do you think of when you hear that?
0: Well, I have a very specific and very clear example and a very recent example. I believe it was in 2017 Here in America, the Attorney General at the time was defending the separation Mm. of children and families of illegal immigrants at the border. And there were, somehow in 2020 still are, children in cages being separated from their families. And the Attorney General at the time was quoted as using Romans chapter 13, which talks about The ways in which we are as followers of Jesus to follow the law of the land. Mm. And he took that scripture out of context and missed the very next verse where it says that everything should be done in love. And I have I it's one of those memories that you have where like I can close my eyes right now and I can remember what smell I was smelling when I heard that voice heard that news report. I remember because it was a Friday night. Hmm. I usually write my sermons on Thursday afternoons and Friday mornings, depending on when the Holy Spirit decides to show up and inspire me. <laughs> and Not on your schedule. Um, huh? <laughs> not always on my schedule. And I had written a sermon and then heard this happen. And as of right now, I have only done this once in my ministerial career, but uh, the bulletins had already been printed for worship. And I threw out the text and threw mm. out the bulletin, threw out the sermon that I had written and said, I, I can't let this go. I can't
1: let this scripture stand.
0: I can't let it as, go. From
1: this kind of interpretation. Yeah. I mean, when you hear scripture being quoted in a way that seems so obviously misrepresented and harmful you just it just what came up for me was just this how dare you yes like that was yes. what what came to mind and i hear the judgment in myself doing that but i i feel like that's a righteous judgment that's just how dare you take the word of god to justify something
0: yes um, in that yes. manner you and want to
1: we- justify it politically that's a different story but sure. when you decide to yeah. pull scripture into it that becomes a really different power dynamic because of the power of the sacred exactly
0: and we can we can do a little bit of research i hope at some point we will do an episode on the ways in which people in power have used scripture in inappropriate ways because there have been some other political leaders that have used that very same passage to justify things like on all sides of the aisle or um you know racism or other other things like that but the other thing that I think about um, comes very naturally to me is I think about the treatment of women mm. and um, and I, I think about the ways in which people pull portions of Scripture out that talk about women, Uh, Whether it's the wives submit to your husbands text, Mm -hmm. wherein it also says, and husbands love your wives and take care Mm -hmm. of your wives.
1: So that doesn't mean that you can use that scripture to justify marital rape, which is the way I've heard it used at times. So that's that's one of those harmful interpretations of using theology as a
0: weapon. Yes, yes. Or women should be silent in church. And so... You know, not everybody in the world is thrilled that I'm a minister, that I'm in a position of power. And I think that, unfortunately, there are people in our community, using community in a larger sense, but that there are people in communities all over that aren't comfortable with women in positions of power. And whether that's because... The Greek and the Hebrew had gendered words, and so they gave God genders, even though I'm not altogether sure that God has a gender, and made God a man. One of the signs that I have in my <laughs> office, which I really love, says, God is not a boy's name.
1: I smile every time I see that sign.
0: And it's, it's, it's an important part to me because, um, as I have stated previously, I have some feelings about the way women are treated whether it's women in ministry or just women in general. And I think that scripture and theology can be twisted to make it seem as though, you know, women, should, women are supposed to be the Sunday school teachers or the church ladies yeah. um, and not the preacher. In every church where I have served, when I answer the phone and I say, I'm the pastor at least once a week, You're the pastor. Hmm. Got a phone call a couple of weeks ago that said, they let you be the pastor? (laughs) Oh, honey child.
1: (laughs) Uh, And you managed to not reach through the phone.
0: Well, but somewhere in their upbringing, somewhere in their culture, somewhere in there, there's that theological belief. And I don't think that the beloved child of God that said to me, they let you be the pastor, was intending to hurt me or harm me, I pray so it's a lack of self-awareness like well no like cuz i'm sure at one point in time it was no women can't be in the army or no women can't be president or x y or z but i do think about the ways in which theology is a and and scripture are used as a way to exclude rather than include to go back yeah. to that same x you know where, where where jesus where scripture is weaponized to say these are who this is who is in and this is who's is out.
1: Yeah, because there is such power, and when you say who's in and who's out, which we naturally do as humans group together, but when you are able to say, because God says this is who's in and who's out, right. that adds this just I mean, if you believe in God, there's nothing more powerful than God, and so you can't argue with that when someone pulls that out it's it pulls the guard the god card out right so th- so yeah so this ex- that's a great those are great examples of how th- when theology can become the weapon you know i mean broader social things you know how scripture was used to justify slavery how mm-hmm. scripture has been used to continue to justify racism and systemic racism yeah. and how scripture has been used to justify child abuse how mm-hmm. scripture has been used to justify almost anything that and those things are horrific in and of themselves and then when you add this overt this is happening to you because god says this should happen to you yes. that sacred element just can really amp up the experiences of trauma it can amp up the internalization of how you then experience your own spiritual world and what that means and right. your self-worth and your value and Okay, so this is getting kind of heavy.
0: Yeah. <laughs> which... Well, it's... and maybe this is the place where I hope ends up in every episode where we say, if you've heard these things, that there is another way of looking mm. at them. There is a way to reframe it. And what the way, the reframe we want to offer is that you are beloved.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that you are beloved, you are created... Whoever
1: you are, if you're hearing this.
0: Yeah. You are created in God's image, you bear God's divine image, and so does everyone else. Mm. I think it's Glennon Doyle who says that we should be humble because uh, we should be bold because God loves us so very much, and we should be humble because God loves everyone else
1: too.
0: Mm. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm phrasing that the right way, but you, dear friend, you are beloved you are created in God's image and you bear God's divine image. Yeah.
1: And if that has been weaponized against you in some way, there is, we have to honor that experience and gr- we grieve with you. We're sad with you. We um, don't want to rush the healing process. And we want to offer this other side of there is a lens of love. Yeah. that comes from that as yeah. well. That that same theology that was used to weaponize you has has a different way to, to use it. Right, and
0: yeah. We're getting ready to enter, a, nerd alerts, we're getting ready to enter a liturgical season called Advent where we, um, the, the few weeks that are leading up to Christmas, and it's always this really beautiful season of anticipation and hope and as I've been working on the liturgy for the worship services and planning those things for, for our particular community of faith, it's been really fascinating to do that right now in 2020, in, in late November of 2020, (laughs) as we think about anticipation and hope and where that comes Mm -hmm. from and, and, and how that happens and just the ways in which God can be a source of hope. Um, that's, that's another, you know, God is love and I, and I pray God is a source of hope. I hope that God will um, lead you to a community where you feel welcome, yeah. where, where that healing process can happen and where you feel like you're a part of the family.
1: Yeah. And a little side street here, next week we are going to have an episode where we talk about the holidays. Yes. And we talk about lots of ways that... Religious harm can show up there and mental yes. health issues can be amplified and yeah. churches can contribute to that as well. So, for so, sure. so so as you go into your Thanksgiving, if you're if you are celebrating, um, just know that we might be talking about something something that's happening to you right. next week.
0: You're-
1: I'm excited for that one after turkey and dressing. Yes. So those are the three broad categories that just in my research and that obviously the over experiences can overlap into all three of those categories. And so out of that, in my research came 10 really common themes of these experiences of religious harm. And don't worry, we're not going to go through all of them, but we thought we'd take a few minutes and just the ones that, that seem really big, that seem that, um, that we will probably be talking about as we get more topical where people see experiences of betrayal is one of them where people have experiences of one we've already mentioned where rules are prioritized over relationships where we see that abuse of power. So, so just, so betrayal was one of the ones that I, so I did a qualitative study, which means I didn't go out and survey hundreds of people. I really had took a deep dive into long interviews with a, very small number of people and I anticipated that I would see this idea of feeling betrayed or experiencing betrayal and that definitely showed up sure. um, in all of my participants so I just I, I do I do you want to jump in and when you hear that term why you think that might be so very present in experiences of religious harm
0: so the first thing that jumps into my mind is gosh there's a lot of stories about betrayal in the Bible. Mm. And that's fascinating to mm-hmm. me that that also... I mean, Jesus
1: betrayed by a kiss. Yeah. I mean, yeah. right before
0: and the crucifixion. Then, and, and like, I mean, just in the book of Genesis, like, every one of, of those patriarchs in the beginning of those first chapters that are betrayed by their younger brothers or older yeah. brothers and...
1: Yeah, and the key thing with betrayal is that betrayal is when you're harmed by someone whom you trusted Mm -hmm. and that's the really key part you know because if if you are walking home from work and a stranger robs you that sucks and we hope that doesn't happen Right. right but it but if you then um a different if you find out you've been robbed by a family member not only have you been robbed, but there's been this betrayal because this might be someone that you deeply trusted. So there's another right. layer yeah. to that. And so when you think about the word trust in religious communities, you know that's that's your key in many times. That's what you're asked yes. to do. And so you know we've talked about these two dynamics of Jesus as a weapon, Jesus through the lens of love, um, or religion as a weapon, religious through the religion through the lens of love. And we, I think a lot about what church is supposed to be with air quotes around supposed, you know, just that it's, suppo- I think people hope that this is a loving place, that it's a good place. Right. And so when you have an experience that's the complete opposite of that, that experience of betrayal can be felt very deeply. Sure.
0: The example that jumps into my mind, I think you mentioned uh, in a previous episode of talking about. Someone come into their pastor for counseling and then all of a sudden they show up as a sermon illustration. Yeah. Like what kind of betrayal is there that here I shared something with my pastor. I trusted
1: you with this really vulnerable information and now it shows up. And so the betrayal from a religious harm can, can come from lots of places. So you may feel betrayed by the person who... Did maybe the leader, maybe the group, maybe the person. If you had, if you're one of those people who was divorced and then kicked out of church, it may be you were betrayed by your friend who sat next to you, in the pew, who who voted to kick you out of the church because that happens in some churches. Things like that. People have votes about people's experiences and whether they can remain in the community or not. Um. So so you can be betrayed by the leader. You can be betrayed by the group. But so often they're. I heard these descriptions of people being betrayed by God. So this conflation of the abuser, the human abuser, or the group abuser with God. So God gets rolled into this and yes. connected into this. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and if we're betrayed by God, if again, if we believe in God, the being that created us, the being that we believe saves us, the, believe, the being who has control over everything, right. where do you go from there?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I go back to my favorite example. When we hear that phrase, "Your faith has made you well," if you are not well,
1: that feels that can be a betrayal. That feels
0: like a betrayal because if you didn't have enough faith, well, God, why couldn't you? Like, why couldn't you have been satisfied, God, with the faith that I had? Why mm-hmm. could not that have been enough to make me well? Like, that's a, that's a, that's a big betrayal. What are some yeah. of the other yeah. uh, themes that you? That you yeah. Came up with?
1: Um. I do just want to add to the betrayal piece. So it also can be betrayed by your theology, you know, where yes. you thought that this was a comforting belief and then you find out, no, this is actually a harmful then something that's harming me. Yes. Um,
0: that or... is big. That is big.
1: So, so that, yeah, we see that quite a bit. Um, we've mentioned the rules being prioritized over people. Yep. I don't know that we need to spend a lot of time about sure. it here, but I think, That was a main theme of just feeling really devalued, that I am less important than the rules. Me as a person, me as a human, you know, women, there were several women in my study who had experienced domestic abuse and were sent the very clear message that the rule that you must stay married no matter what was more important than their literal life, than their safety. and. That's just not how I I I, right. I see your stomach we're, churning. We're, we're both we're
0: like both just visceral reacting to like retelling this. But that's yeah. a
1: that's a very real experience yeah. for many people. Yeah. Um, we've mentioned too the theme of just that abuse of power. So that came up a lot in our last episode yes. of the power of the church to to either guide people towards mental health care or pull people away from it. Um, and and discourage people.
0: And I think about power too in terms of control. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. what um what control you have over um the story you mentioned of the pastor who would only allow his person I assume he it was sorry, a he <laughs> uh, talk to you know you can only talk to me about your marriage that kind of control. Um the the control of um I'm the one who stands in the pulpit so I control what I say. I have the power what I say, you know, if it's said from the pulpit, well, then we have to make it this way because yeah, the, those two steps up into the pulpit in our congregation, yeah. those two steps are really big steps. And yeah.
1: And you think about in any kind of abuse, how do abusers find their victims? How do they gain access to their victims? There has to be a place where this power dynamic comes into place, where they have, where they can find themselves in a position of power. Mm-hmm. And so... Again, what is more powerful than God for those who believe in God? And so I believe there's many, many ministers who are most, most ministers are here out of a calling and a loving experience of wanting to draw people to a loving God. And yet abusers have to gain access to that power and to the control that comes from that power in some way. And so I think that there are a group of religious leaders who are, in the position because of the power that it gives them. Sure. Yes. Because it's such a strong a strong force of power. So those, I think, are the big ones that we're going to see and as we go through our topics sure. is experiences of betrayal, experience of rules being prioritized over people, experiences of that abuse of power, or using the sacred to control. Sure. Um, the other ones I'll just briefly mention, and again, you can hear a really deep dive into all of these with on the You Have Permission podcast that I did with Dan Cope. Participants described emotional trauma, so just really negative emotional experiences, feeling depressed or anxious, um, Experiences of stigma where they were ostracized or sometimes the stigma was the abuse, um, feeling isolated, being blamed. So the victim blaming that happens in any – that is quite typical in any abuse situation becomes amplified when, again, God says you were wrong about this or God says you should hide this and not – there were a lot of my participants described spiritual transformation. so how their beliefs were changed because of this experience. Wow. and um and some of them were positive, and some of them were really negative. Um, you know, one woman just i I describe her as a very evangelical atheist. She, just because of her experience, just, really very justifiably so giving her experiences wanted nothing to do with any kind of religion or any religious person and then there were some participants who were able to find a different religious community that that was healthier um so lots of discrimination around gender my participants were all women so that definitely came up um and some and I also got to hear some healing some stories of healing so people who had had some corrective experiences that we hope this podcast will be a little bit um some experiences that there are other narratives there are other alternatives out there and um and counseling. Lots of my participants described going to counseling and finding counselors who were able to help them with this. So so those are a little taste of some of the themes that I think you'll see show up maybe next week when we talk about holidays. But before we tease next week, anything else sitting with you that you want to say as we wrap up what we mean when we say religious abuse? This is hitting the highlights. We'll be talking a lot more about it. Yeah. But.
0: I think I just want to say I appreciate so much all of the work and the research that you did and the knowledge that you bring and the perspective that you bring. And it is helpful to think about religious abuse and religious harm and power and control and all of the ways that that goes in to the way that we think about things that are sacred. Yeah. And And I think how we understand the sacred and how we internalize that is naturally tied to our mental health our spiritual health is naturally tied to our mental health how we understand the sacred and that that my friends is a sacred intersection
1: nice (laughs) yeah and thank you for saying that because that's i've i've realized we haven't really used that term much in this episode and yet i think it's all over this episode sure all of these experiences create mental health issues all of these experiences are things that people might be bringing To counselors and to counseling appointments, into pastoral counseling, and so we definitely may see these things show up.
0: Definitely, definitely.
1: All right. Well, thanks for letting me talk a little bit about my research, indulging me on this. Yeah. And please, if you have thoughts about this, please send us messages on social media. Um, You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at. Sacred Intersections Podcast on Twitter at Sacred Pod. Um, is that all on our social media right yeah. now? Yeah,
0: you can yeah. find our podcasts pretty much on most of the regular platforms on Apple Podcasts and I guess
1: if you're listening to us, you've already <laughs> you, you figured it out. <laughs> if you like the platform you're on, keep listening on that platform. If not, there may be other platforms that work for you. Right. So, yeah. but on on all of those social media platforms, we mean it when we say we'd love to hear your thoughts. And um, so, co- make a comment on a post or send us a message or yeah, um, just let us know what thoughts you have and what you might like us to talk about a little bit before so so next week as we mentioned we're gonna focus a little bit on the holidays
0: talk about the holidays which i think that is a really sacred intersection because holidays uh two of the holidays that are coming up in the in on the calendar as holidays one is thanksgiving
1: which will have already have no will be about to happen by the time you listen to this one yeah
0: uh so not a sacred not a liturgical holiday (laughs) um but then Christmas, which is a liturgical holiday, <laughs> um, yeah. So, so those are are are. There's a lot that goes into that culturally, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of mental health pieces around the holidays yeah. and. I family. taught a whole
1: stress management course on str- on holiday stress when I worked at the hospital. That's I taught amazing. a whole a whole yeah. series on stress at the holidays. It's very real.
0: Um, yeah. Could you? We'll help with that there dr paula um yeah i I think it's gonna be a really easy episode to talk about because we have lots of feelings about it so we're looking forward to to sharing that episode yeah so maybe
1: we'll throw up a post about that and if you want to share stories that maybe we could even bring into our episode um do yeah. that. That may be a way to interact with us. Yeah.
0: Just think, you could be the first listener that we talk about on our podcast. <laughs> well, Only
1: like- with your permission, though. Yeah. Not like that other story that we talked about.
0: Right. <laughs> yes. Interact with us on social media. Tell us your holiday stories or or whatever it is that you want to hear. And um we're grateful that you're on this journey with us, and we look forward to interacting yeah. with you.
1: And as Jill has said every week, we really like you. We do really I like you. I always smile when I hear that back. We do really like I do. you. It's, I know you love Mr. Rogers, and it feels very Mr. Yes. but it also feels so sincere. It is really sincere. So.
0: We so. already like you. You're already a part of the family.
1: Yes, you are. So thank you for listening, and safe travels on all of your sacred intersections throughout the week.